and we are live. Good evening, everyone. It is me, Brian, the UK Bitcoin Master, uh, coming to you at 6pm UK time, as I always do on a Thursday. In fact, every Monday and every Thursday. And where I can, I bring you a live guest where we talk life, Bitcoin, uh, the future, etc, etc. And that is no different today. I've got a great guest that I'm going to be chatting with uh, shortly. If you're new to the channel, really important that you read the disclaimer. Uh, don't take anything I say as financial advice. Uh, do your own research. Um, Bitcoin is a very exciting asset, uh, but you know what? It can be volatile. And if you're not prepared for the highs and the lows, don't invest in it because it is volatile. So do your own research. Don't listen to anything I've got to say. Uh, check out UKBitcoinMaster.com. That is where you'll find every video that I've done to date. Uh, some nearly 400 of them now since 2018. And BitcoinInterviews.com is clearly where all the interviews are housed, including this one once it is completed. So uh, do check them out. I've interviewed some great people in the space recently. Greg Foss I've had, Jeff Booth, amongst others. Um, I'm hoping to have some really corkers coming in uh, really soon. So I'll give you some news on that really uh, soon. So do check out those sites. And if you want to drop a tip, and I've said this a million times before, and I'll say it again, I do not run this channel for any type of financial gain. It is simply just to inspire others to at least get down that Bitcoin rabbit hole and do some research. But some people have reached out and said, well, how do we drop you a tip? There you go. You can drop a few Satoshis there if you so choose. Uh, Tipping.me at UK Bitcoin Master. Uh, today is the 2nd of Christmas or the 2nd of December um, 2021 as we go live. And I can't wait to talk with my live guest. Very quickly, I normally do this on the back end, but I'll do it on the front end right now. We'll shoot over to the, the desktop. Quick shill for Matthew Underhill's book. It's a great book written by a, a British Bitcoiner, uh, Beginner's Guide to the Future of Finance. I would encourage everyone that is new to Bitcoin to check it out on Amazon, whether you want to listen or whether you um, uh, particularly uh, like to read a book. You can get them both. I've read it. I've got the book. I've listened to it. And there's some great information in there for anybody that is new uh, to all of this. Very quick shill for Bitcoin to the moon down in Australia. He is selling his digital asset portfolio. Um, and that um, consists of bitcointothemoon.com, btctothemoon.com. Um, the logos are all copyrighted. There's lots of other stuff. So if you know a whale that might be looking to invest and get bitcointothemoon.com, which as we all know, when you look across Twitter, it's always when is Bitcoin going to moon? So, you know, this is a, a an asset portfolio that I'm sure a whale would love to get their hands on. So do check that out. And I'll come back afterwards to my quote. OK, without further ado, I want to introduce my guest to you all. Now, what I would encourage you to do is follow him on Twitter. He's got a heck of a following. He's a true Bitcoiner. And I'd like to say, John Vallis, welcome to the show. Great to have you in the house. Brian, thanks for the invite. I'm looking forward to this. Ah, you're really, really welcome. Well, uh, like I said um, pre-show, John, um, you know, I get sort of good Bitcoiners on, clever Bitcoiners on, people that know way more than I do. But I also get members of my family on, people that are not, 
you know, finance finance sort of orientated. So can take a hell of a lot to get your head around all of this. I mean, I've been in the rabbit hole for four and a half years and I'm sort of just grasping it. I'm now branching out into lightning and trying to get my head around taproot and everything else so that at least I could talk to my viewers about it or hold my own when I'm chatting to a guest. Um, but uh, what I want to do really, John, over the next 30 to 60 minutes is just talk to you about you uh, before Bitcoin, finding it, what was your initial thoughts, you know, what was your rabbit hole journey like, where you're at at the moment. So I always like to start off with maybe you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, maybe what you did before Bitcoin, how you found it, etc. Sure. Um, the Coles Notes version is I I grew up in, in Newfoundland, Canada. Um, I guess for whatever reason, you know, I was a very curious person. I had the opportunity to travel you know, with my family when I was younger, and that probably seeded some of that as well. And uh, when I finished high school, I, I just wanted to get out. You know, I wanted to um, see the world, experience other things, be a part of a broader world than the relatively small city I was from. And uh, the <laughs> I wanted to just, you know, strap on a backpack and get a one-way ticket and go see the world. But my, you know, my family members thought the more controlled, I guess, option would be to do a rotary exchange. So I was an exchange student in uh, Japan, in Kanazawa, Japan, for a year after high school. Okay. And then I came back and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Still didn't want to go to university, but I didn't want to be at home doing nothing either. And so I was working some jobs and just decided to take some courses. And, you know, almost unfortunately, in hindsight, I ended up finishing a degree in, in history and business. Um, but it was never really something I was that passionate about it just kind of didn't want to be doing nothing and then once I finished that I um, put on a backpack and went to South America for four months um, Peru Colombia Ecuador Argentina um, and I you know a, a lot of that was travel and a lot of that was spending time in the Amazon I was really interested in um, well let's say like traditional tribal medicine centered around ayahuasca, which I think people are more and more familiar with these days, you know, and I think that's that's pretty consistent with being a curious person and wanting to understand both the internal and external world as much as possible. Yeah. And so I went into the jungle and spent some spent about a, a month or six weeks, you know, in a, in a small tribal village, you know, learning from the uh, the shaman that resided there. And that was interesting. And then after that, I pretty much did the antithesis, which was put on, get a one-way ticket to uh, Shanghai because I wanted to be, you know, I thought Shanghai was kind of like New York at the turn of the, 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 the century, yep. you know, so early 1900s and, and wanted to be a part of the action. And I ended up uh, staying there for 10 years. I worked in finance for the first part of that in wealth management. Um, and then I really disliked that and um, didn't like the in <laughs> didn't like the industry and and you know all of my misgivings about uh, the monetary system were pre-existing. Uh, I just thought like that was the best way to make money and and you know subsequent to my experiences in the jungle and basically the the, the way that my philosophy had been developing, I've been departing from just having as an objective in life to accumulate as much money as possible. But I it had been my dream since I was like 14 years old to go to China and be involved in finance. So I've just felt like I had to give it a whirl. Yeah. And I gave it a whirl and, and really confirmed that it was not for me. 
And then I went back to school for three years. I did a degree in um, natural medicine. And then I went back to China to work uh, at, in that capacity uh, in a clinic for a few years. Really disliked that, um, you know, just the, the ownership and the focus of, of the clinic and all that kind of stuff. All the while learning more about Bitcoin, I was introduced to Bitcoin very early on. And then, um, like so many people, there's many touch points. And then on a on a trip to Bali in 2014, uh, I finally there was a, a, um, a retail shop that was helping people buy Bitcoin. And I thought, oh, finally, because early days, it's like, well, how do I get my hands on this stuff? It was yeah, so, it wasn't yeah. so easy as it is today. And so the retail shop, I went in and it took like an hour and I bought my first few Satoshis. And um, then I just kept paying attention, kept listening, kept learning. And by 2018, when I left China, I went to Thailand. I was, you know, very far down the rabbit hole. And by 19, I, I, I couldn't contain, uh, you know, I couldn't contain the excitement. And I had to start a podcast just for the sole reason that I needed to be having these conversations with other people to talk about these ideas and yep. make sure I wasn't the only crazy one. And, uh, you know, here we are today, a, a couple of years later, and the podcast has been great. It's given me the opportunity to speak with a lot of really smart, really interesting people, refine my own understanding and be part of this phenomenon that I think you and I would both agree is is going to take over the world. So it's kind of it's pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, obviously, people, you need to check out the Bitcoin Rapid Fire uh, podcast. Uh, John's got a podcast and a YouTube channel. Uh, same name. Check those out. Subscribe to those. Um, that is, I mean, did you say 2019 when you decided to start your podcast? Yeah, in the fall of 2019. Wow. So... Can I just say that at least I'm a little bit more of an OG than you in terms of mine because I started in 2018. <laughs> I mean, it's really crazy, and I'm sure you'll relate to this, John. I remember when I got in in 2017, I couldn't find any decent information about Bitcoin. There was nothing out there that I really trusted. I, I was I was fortunate that I came across Adam Meister, Bitcoin Meister, and I literally started following him every single day. And, and my initial reaction to Adam was, you know, this guy's either completely crazy or he's onto something because, you know, strong hand and long term thinking and delayed gratification. And I've literally watched every single one of his shows uh, since I got in in 2017. And you know what? I'm totally convinced that he's helped me build my strong hand. You know, they say, how strong is your hand? What would you do? What You know, when would you sell? I mean, to be honest, I've got a philosophy and my channel viewers know this, and that is, you know, I moon with a ship or I go down with it. There's no middle ground. I believe that Bitcoin mm. is the future, however that's going to look, whether it's in my lifetime or my kids' lifetimes or whatever. You know, I believe it is the future. And I believe that we owe it to our families to stack every single Satoshi we can and hold it. Never let it out of your grasp. Get it offline cold storage it you know and and just then literally talk to anybody that will listen about it um and it's interesting you say that i absolutely love talking to other bitcoiners and i think it's because we're on a common goal aren't we we're all moving we've all got a vision we're all moving in the, the same direction we all want well i think there's a crowd of us and i'm gonna put myself in that crowd I think there's a crowd of us that really believe we can make the world a better place. And, you know, what I want to do, I want to talk to you about your views outside of the price. Because what I love about these shows that are, I follow now, BTC Sessions, Swan Bitcoin, you know, whoever it might be, 
barely anybody talks about price. Everybody's now talking about how Bitcoin can make the world a better place. And I've got that mm. from some of the conversations I've heard you talk on. And like you get quite deep and quite heavy on stuff, which, you know, whilst I can't get it out of here, from here, out of here to my viewers, I take it in and think, this guy's really got it. So let's, let's go down the rabbit hole of what you see Bitcoin doing for the world and how that might look, because I'm really interested yeah. in that. Sure. And I think to your comment of when you first encountered Adam, you, you're not sure if this guy's crazy or a genius uh, or right. I think, you know, I think it's probably a little bit of both for all of us. You know, you got to be a little bit unconventional, a little bit of a, a different thinker to be open enough and be receptive enough to actually believing that this thing might be what we think it is. Yep. You know, I think that's part of the thing that keeps people away from it for a long time. It's like it's just kind of a disbelief, like surely such a thing is not possible. It and, can't be and real. Maybe yeah. they're right. Yeah. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm with you. I'll go down with the ship, but it doesn't mean we're right. It just means we're highly convicted. And, you know, one of the things that makes this all so exciting is we're going to find out. We're going to yeah. find out who, who's right about all this stuff. But well, to answer your question, you know, I think it's once you start understanding the function of money and the influence of money, the impact and the implications of money and how different types of money have can influence both culture and as a result of that can influence people, right? Because money is the thing that communicates value and value is pretty much everything. You yeah. know, we, we, we kind of reside, the culture these days seems to focus more on the materialist reductionist aspect of, of understanding the world. But, you know, we don't understand the world in terms of objects and material. We understand the world in terms of meaning and value. And money is the thing that carries and expresses that to the world. And it's also the thing that we interpret via its price signal to help us orient our own value hierarchies. And as a result, how we should act and who we should become. Mm. And when you swap out the signals, then you get a different result. And to put it, I guess, simply, I think one of the interesting things about Bitcoin and why people become so convicted about it is because you see certain principles instantiated in this money. Mm. And then you recognize that if they're instantiated in that money, then they're going to be instantiated in the people and the culture that it fosters. And to me, the two primary things that Bitcoin instantiates is incorruptible truth and it uses incorruptible truth to instantiate individual sovereignty and freedom. Mm. You know, and these are kind of very religious concepts, right? An absolute truth that, that sanctifies the, 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 the divine sovereignty of the individual. I mean, these permeate a lot of the different religious stories and philosophies that, it, that exist in the world. But those two things, if you think those are good principles, if you, if you think truth and freedom are some of the highest ideals and principles, then you're probably going to align yourself with something that helps to instantiate, convey and propagate those principles out into the world. And even more so if they're instantiated in the thing that most communicates value and information to and through the world. And so what I'm really interested in, and as you mentioned with, with a lot of the podcasts these days, I mean, nobody cares about price. It's kind of a foregone conclusion that number go, <laughs> number go up over a certain period of time. But what's really important is saying, OK, well, when we have a, a system that communicates value like that, that can communicate the highest fidelity, the pristine, the most pristine signal of value, which, 
which is a representation of our internal hierarchies ever before. There's no distortion and no dilution in that signal. That signal goes out into the culture and to other people, and we also receive it back. And that feedback mechanism that gets established as a result of that relationship, I think allows for a more, more truth to emerge in the world than ever before. And in a world like today, where there's so much lies, fraud, deceit, corruption, yep. you know, all of that kind of stuff built into the institutions because it is built into the money as a foundational you know, block in all those institutions. When you see that emerging and when you see the possibility of a replacement to that, then it, it instills in you a great sense of hope and excitement. And you begin to have these visions of what the world might look like if it was founded on a, on a foundation of truth and individual freedom and sovereignty rather than you know, unfairness and lies and deceit and corruption. And I, I, I think, you know, the reason why this rabbit hole goes so deep, it's like what happens to the individual and to the culture and as a result, you know, the world when incorruptible truth is the basis on which society and culture is founded. I mean, we, we've never had, we've never really had that. And the, the, even the idea of incorruptible or absolute truth has typically been the domain of philosophical and religious endeavor. I mean, the, the, that's the only place where these ideas have been, you know, available f before. And now we have it instantiated in the most important mechanism for the communication of human values and principles, which is money. And I think, like you, I assume, it's going to foster a much improved world, not a utopia, right? There's all, because what it does is it allows for the consequences of engaging reality and engaging one another to be laid bare, to actually be felt, you know? So it, oftentimes when I use this type of language, people might accuse me of being a bit utopian, but I think it's rather the opposite. It's, it's an acceptance of the reactions that occur at, as a result of the actions you take in the world. It's a, it's a re-instantiation of a more high fidelity cause and effect relationship between action and reaction, both on an individual and a cultural basis. And I think you require that in order to discover truth, right? About whatever it may be. If you, you know, you've, if you discover truth in a market, you know, if you discover a market is trying to, maybe not trying to, but one of the effects that it has is it discovers what is the things of the utmost value because yeah. it is our expression of those things that we feed into the market and the market then accommodates. And so the fact that that communication can now be pristine and that that, that emergent process of discovering the highest values can now or will be able to take place absent distortion, dilution, intervention, I think is a tremendous boon for humanity. And, you know, I, I, we all love to imagine what will result from that. I know it's an interesting thing, the way you were just talking there. And you, and like I said, offline, you know, I come from a working class background, drove trucks for most of my life until I got unwell. And this stuff is so heavy. It's so deep. You know, how do we how do we get here? Because, you know, I'm I'm on the fringes of this and I'm hearing you talk right there. And, you know, hands up, full disclosure, I'm thinking, oh, crikey, I can't, you know, it's really difficult to to get your head around this, because I think most people, including me, we come in for the the gains you know we get into the rabbit hole and all of a sudden we start to learn you know that bitcoin is way more than just a way to make a fast book well you're never going to make a fast buck in bitcoin unless you just have that 
ounce of luck to jump in and jump out at the mm-hmm. right time which is you know most people are going to get wrecked but so all of a sudden you you know you come in for the gains and then you stay for the revolution and that's where I've got to put my hand and say you know that is where I'm at do I understand what this revolution's going to do how it's going to change the world no it hurts my head at the thought of it but what I can see John I can see 50 to 100 years where we change the world over time and the, the reason I'm saying that is because you know I am fortunate that because I've jumped in the Bitcoin rabbit hole I've I've gone through several books and several times and I'm currently on safe's book for the third time I want to go around and read the creature from Jekyll Island a second time and when you when I listen to Safedine's book but particularly Edward G Griffin's book the, the creature from Jekyll Island you start to understand the absolute corruption that is in the world the absolute corruption that has pushed the world forward for centuries. And to be able to say and not be able to quantify it, but say Bitcoin can actually take that past history and learn from it and make the world a better place because it's code, it's truth, it's math and all that. I don't know how to get that out of here, but I, <laughs> but I feel it. Does that make sense? And then the next thing creeps in, which I guess is a question really, and that is, how the heck do we start to impart that on someone without them going, whoa, what planet are you on? And I'll give an example, if I may. You know, I always interact with my chat. You know, I'm very fortunate. I've got my lovely wife in the chat, Elaine. Um, my uh, daughter's in, Buffy. Her daughter, my granddaughter, Kate, is in the house. I've got my my nephew, Paul, who's only just found Bitcoin. And he's just constantly picking up my YouTube videos, going through them. He's looking at other YouTube videos. But again, it's like, you know, somebody starts off and they they feel they could make some money, but very quickly they grasp this is way, way, way bigger than just making some money. So how the heck do we start that process of educating people? Now, I know we can say, well, how do you change the world one person at a time? And that's all we can do. But it's like Hmm. there's so many rabbit holes, aren't there? It's crazy. There is. And and to your point about the corruption in the money, you know, this is why I use a term like sanctifies the divine sovereignty of each individual, because when when people are forced to use fiat currency, the US dollar doesn't really matter which one it is, your sovereignty is breached because people are able money is very much an emblem of your time, energy and sacrifice, right? You you have to trade those things in order to get money. So it's kind of a token of those things. And if another group of people can surreptitiously, you know, drain or steal the value of that, then they're they're violating your your essence, basically. They're violating your property. And so when I say something as seemingly esoteric as sanctifies the divine sovereignty of each individual, one, of course, I'm making assumption that each individual has a spark of divinity in them and should be treated as such. But two, that it is a form of money. It's an emblem of time, energy and sacrifice where that cannot take place. And by virtue of that, that is the sanctification of the divine sovereignty of the, the individual, because it says what that individual sacrifices their time and energy for, they get to keep and nobody can violate that relationship to that property. And so I, I think that's a tremendously profound um, you know, circumstance or quality of, of Bitcoin. But to your point, you know, to your two points or your point in your question, one, I think 
we, we look at this thing like we look at everything and we say, what is this? Right? Our brains naturally say, what is this? And if it's a cup, okay, pretty simple. It, it helps carry liquid. I can use, you know, I can take a drink of it, whatever. And we, you know, that's how our brains make sense of the world. Yep. And that's how we categorize the world and move through it optimally and all that. And then we come to something like Bitcoin and our brain says, okay, what is this thing? And at first it might say, oh, it's a new form of money. Okay, cool. But then as you learn more, you say, oh, no, no, it's more than that. And the brain says again, well, what is this thing? And you say, oh, it's actually like an incorruptible network of, of value exchange and it does X, Y, and Z. Okay. And then your brain goes, but it, it actually seems like it's more. So what is this thing? And that question just keeps ringing in all of our heads. And in order to answer it properly, we have to expand out the surface area of our inquiry. And that's why it's such an interesting thing that when, when people that are really down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and they're really trying to answer that question, what is Bitcoin? You end up necessarily consulting philosophy, science, uh, you know, obviously technology, computer science, monetary history, uh, psychology. You know, all, it's, it's so related to all of these things that if, you, if you're going to answer that question, you have to investigate all those domains and what it ends up doing is it in, enriches your, you, well, I think it enriches your life because it now kind of animates all of those areas with greater meaning than before. Because yeah. there's this thing that you know is deeply meaningful, you can get a sense for it, but you don't necessarily know exactly why, you can't, you can't necessarily articulate exactly why, but the inquiry and the investigation of all those related fields is now brought to life because you, you look at them and you say, hey, Maybe there's something, an insight, some wisdom, some knowledge in those fields that I can bring back that will help me contextualize my understanding of Bitcoin and elevate my understanding of Bitcoin. And I think that's why we see such a, you know, such a re renaissance effectively in the minds of Bitcoiners where they, they're consuming all this sort of disparate content now simply to try to answer that singular question of what is Bitcoin? Yeah. And the reason why we use a term like or a metaphor like the rabbit hole is because it seems like it's never ending and this is why we end this is why we end up in this like really profound territory of like religious thought and iconography um and ideas or or you could say you know deep philosophical ideas as well because as you burrow deep down enough in the domain of value and meaning you wind up in that territory because that's what those institutions that's what those lines of thinking are attempting to explicate, you know, philosophically or religious thought or religious myth and story. They're trying to, it's the enterprise of discovering ultimate meaning and ultimate value. And, you know, it, it, I've noticed in myself and a lot of Bitcoiners revisiting these things that we might have dismissed prior periods in our life mm -hmm. as, you know, for whatever reason, dismiss them uh, and revisiting them because now there's an added salience to them because of what they might elucidate in terms of our understanding of Bitcoin. And then it's really interesting about how then that not only helps enhance the understanding of Bitcoin, but reopens the door to all of these disparate fields to and how Bitcoin is reanimating them and reanimating our understanding and our appreciation, our appreciation of them. And so I think renaissance is the best word to describe it because you have all these people that if, if they're really dedicated to understanding this thing, if their their curiosity and their dedication really is to truth, then I think it ultimately that's why I think, you know, truth is often uh, 
framed as being transformative, mm. right? Mm. Like because it 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 reorganizes your system, your your value hierarchy, and your systems of understanding to such a degree that it transforms who you are and how you behave and how you act and how you interact and the things you aspire to. And then to your question about how to communicate this to people, look. I, I've, pr- I've probably tried all approaches, and as I'm sure you know, like it can seem like you know you're just a fire hose. Someone you know, says the word Bitcoin, and you give them the full fire hose. So I mean, it's part of the reason why I started the podcast because I can just direct people, say, hey, you know, if you're interested, go there. But my approach now is I, I don't try to convince people too hard. I try yeah. to speak what I believe to be the truth around this thing and ask the questions that I believe to be interesting and relevant. And I guess to some degree. Uh, I try not to uh, be shy about what I discover there. Like if I'm, you know, if I'm starting to make a connection between Bitcoin and the deeply, you know, the, the, the fundamental notions of found in religion, for example, well, screw it. Like I'm just going to do that. And hopefully in the course of doing that, I'm either proven wrong and that would be great because that's the type of corrective feedback I need to continue on my journey of discovering the truth around this thing, or it actually opens up a, a fascinating line of inquiry that others join me on yeah. and we wrestle it out together. And, you know, a lot of people come into Bitcoin Twitter for the first time and they think, oh my God, this place is crazy. Like these people are, are zealots or they're toxic or whatever. And I just think it's um, a, a group of, well, first, of course, imperfect individuals. So you're going to encounter idiosyncrasies in everyone's, you know, uh, behavior and, and personality. But I think as a fundamental underlying ethos, that group of people is very concerned with truth and honesty. Yep. And that's why like, you, can, you can be a high profile individual of any sort of kind. But if you come in and you, you display an attitude that is not commensurate with the humility required to continue discovering truth, then you're going to get spanked. But if you come in with hum- humility and it's evident that you're just engaging this and you're putting forward ideas not to receive accolades, but to refine your own understanding. So you genuinely want to invite criticism and dialogue around the ideas you're sharing. If that is the sense you give people, then you're welcome with open arms because ultimately that's what everyone else is trying to do. But in that pursuit, like if you're genuinely on, on a pursuit for truth, Ego is not very helpful in that domain, and that's clear, and people get reminded of that if they, they come into the space and, and display it. So, yeah, yeah I, I think the best thing for all of us to do is, is be genuine in our pursuit and be genuine in our speech, and then we kind of have to let the chips fall where they may. And I think um, the word empathy springs to mind for me, um, and that is, you know, everybody view views things differently we all come you know at at things from different perspectives there are no two people that view the same thing the same and I think it's really important that when we're talking to somebody you know understand if they're standoffish if they're skeptical if they've had a bad experience somewhere else and do our best to try and educate those that are open to it and which I guess leads me you know to the next point that I want to make and that is you know I'm in my early 60s now and you know life's just gone by in a flipping heartbeat and what, what I found over my life is that 
most people, and it's a really sad fact, and that is that most people, they live in a goldfish bowl. That is, they just hope the government are going to take care of them. They hope that, you know, every month they're going to have enough money to pay their bills. And, you know, they don't care about the future. And I'm very much caring a bitcoin i've always been you know taking care of the future you know not save for a rainy day as such but that was what we were always taught when i was young you know put something by for a rainy day etc um I'm, I'm just trying to educate people on the fact that you know your money is getting you less and less and less over time Whereas if you put something into Bitcoin over time, you know, I haven't got a magic wand. I haven't got a crystal ball. But over time, your purchasing power is going to go up, which is going to help you and your family in the long term. If it's not me while I'm alive, hey, I've got two generations below me on this call and they're going to benefit and their descendants as well from the from the um, decisions that I make. So I'm almost I'm almost deciding that I am the catalyst that makes a stand, puts the flat, plants my flag in the ground, and I'm going to be the one that's going to do everything I can to give my family a better future when I'm not here. But so many people have just not got that in them, have they? The masses just want to get through life. I mean, I don't think we'll ever change that dynamic, will we? Well, I do. I think we will. But I think it will be post hyper Bitcoinization. You know, another way you could look about look at money is the degree it, it mediates the degree of optionality you have over the future. And so just think about that for a moment. I mean, if you if you can, the, the, the more certainty you have over the optionality in your future, then the less the, the more the anxiety gets dialed down, mm. right? Because if you feel more and more secure, if you feel like there's more and more options available to you to you in your future, it's, it doesn't just impact your future. It impacts your here and now because so many of us are consumed by the anxieties of the future, largely financial, right? Will I have enough money for this, to pay for that, to support this? And when those get dialed down by knowing that your savings are in the most secure form possible yeah. and even even if it's post hyper bitcoinization right and and it, you know we're not seeing like 100 or 200 percent growth a year but just to know that your claim on the optionality optionality of the future is ironclad nobody can take it from you nobody can steal it from you and over time as that grows a, a greater sense of peace and comfort around the future and as a result around here and now begins to dawn on people and what i see happening in the bitcoin space is that you know the early big not early but the bitcoiners are beginning to feel that and what do you know all of these people are beginning to make decisions in their life that are not oriented exclusively towards immediate concerns immediate financial concerns but now they're they're starting to think what do i want to do with my time and my energy and my life what what from what do I derive the most meaning when I engage in it? What do I enjoy the most? And, you know, a very simple, somewhat low resolution uh, response to that proposition is a lot of Bitcoiners are trying to find ways of getting out of their existing career and working in Bitcoin and contributing to Bitcoin in some way, working at a Bitcoin company, doing yep. media and podcasting, 
building a company themselves because it is more meaningful to them. And, and because of the security that they feel, they're more capable of making that choice to say, I'm not going to do the soul crushing, soul destroying job and life that I previously had. And I'm going to orient myself towards the things that I derive more meaning from. And I think as Bitcoin becomes more and more the standard, even if this is not a conscious process, more and more people will feel that. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the, the fiat system, by virtue of how it continues to uh, put people in an increasingly deprived situation via the theft that it permits, that, that, that is a very soul-destroying thing. And so two things. One, people feel like they're not getting as much out of their, their deployment, their sacrifices, their work as they ought to be, and they're right about that. But they're also disincentivized um, and demoralized about the system and culture that that money creates. But when we start to get a culture and a system that's founded on a, a fairer and a, 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 you know, a better form of money and all the different institutions that go away and emerge as a result of that, I think people are going to look at themselves and look at the world and feel a greater congruence, feel a greater fairness, feel a, a less of a demoralizing imposition and more of an invigorating energy and as a result and of course i'm speaking over the course of time not immediately but as a result their feelings about themselves the world their work their family the things of meaning to them will start to shift and i think they'll become more vibrant rather than less so and and, and all of that will just be simply following the signal that bitcoin propagates you won't have to be you know a bitcoin philosopher for this to happen i just think this will be the natural outcome of the principles that bitcoin and and the type of oh you're there um yeah well i was going to say the one thing i believe and that is if you can take away the stress and worry of money worries or finances you can then become the person that you were put on this earth to be but i think many people go through their lives and they become the person their job or their financial constraints makes them be so i think i'm just sort of summarizing what you've just said in in the way that once you put worry to bed and you're no longer worrying about the future financially you can start to shine is that a fair assumption I, that's the way i see it much much more simply put yes <laughs> that, that's that's what I see, though, John, you know, because I see so many people that are pent up and stressed and worry and they're racing around like idiots, you know, from one thing to the next, trying to make ends meet, robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that that's not living to me. That's just working and sleeping until you die. And I think, you know, put put your house in order in the Bitcoin sphere, for want of a better word, and you can start to become the you that you were supposed to be put on this earth to become. Maybe that's a, a little bit heavy for some of the people that know me, but it's how I feel. Yeah, look, I mean, you unavoidably confront notions as you talk about the impacts and implications of Bitcoin, but I, I totally agree. So let me ask you this. Um, again, uh, I don't know how many podcasts you get on and follow and watch, but I'm, you know, I'm still trying to learn and I'm, I'm sort of on, you know, three to five, maybe six podcasts, not even daily, but as they come out. And what I'm hearing is this debate. I just want your view on this. And, you know, you may not even have a view, but, you know, there's an argument to say that if the dollar crashes, you know, Bitcoin's not ready 
Um, you know, there's an argument for, I think Greg says it not well, where a beautiful transition, nice and steady, would be ideal. But in reality, that may not happen. How do you think the the change, the change, I'm thinking that the crossover may transition. happen. Transition, good word, thank you. Uh, you know, this is the question everyone wants the answer to because the, <laughs> the, the, the systems are so antithetical to one another. Yep. They really are. I mean, one, one is predicated on a small group of people having godlike powers and control to siphon off as much wealth as they want from, you know, from individuals. And the other one is the complete antithesis of that. It doesn't allow, it treats everyone exactly the same and allows nobody special privilege. You have to, you know, work by the, the sweat of your brow and you will be rewarded based on what the market deems uh, is of value in terms yep. of your work. And so, uh, and you know, the, the, the world we find ourselves in is so perverse and, um, Twist distorted the fi the financial world, but obviously everything downstream of that as well. And so, how does you know so much debt, so much misallocation of capital, so much uh, the ingrained power structures that obviously are not going to relinquish that power um, willingly? You know how how does that become unstuck? And I I don't know. I mean, I of course share the sentiment that I hope we can have two parallel systems kind of running parallel and, and it provides enough time for enough people to get off. But unfortunately, I don't think that's the nature of pressurized systems, which ultimately all systems are. And so I, I think it's probably going to be the case that, um, you know, the, the, the new and emerging system, well, I was going to say puts pressure on the legacy one, but I, I think the legacy one is inherently unsustainable anyways. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's, it's inevitable demise. Its demise is probably inevitable, uh, and the fact that Bitcoin exists for people to save themselves is great for the people that saves themselves. But it, it may indeed put more pressure on the legacy. It, it may help reveal the 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 cracks in the legacy system, and to what extent does that accelerate the demise? I don't know, but seeming the answer is probably not. Not it is probably not none at all. So look, I think. I think it, it could very well be messy. Mm. Um, and that's why, you know, a lot, a lot of us in this space think about, okay, well, you've got to stack as many sats as possible, but you've also got to make considerations like, well, what happens when things get unstable? Well, so, you know, supply chains become disrupted, access to goods become disrupted. And we're certainly seeing that to some degree today, the cost of energy goes up. And so what can you do to mitigate that? Well, you can have a strong local network that you can rely on for certain things, whether it just be emotional support or other more material things. You can figure out independent sources of energy and food. You can, you know, do the whole prepper thing. And I, I know it sounds absurd. You know, a lot of people would think, well, you're so doom and gloom. Don't be so ridiculous. But to my mind, it's always been the case that like, well, think about how much that stuff really costs. I mean, it can get expensive if, if you're talking about a whole house, but like, when I was first confronted these considerations in 2017, I thought, well, it's going to cost me a few thousand dollars to get enough food, enough dried food for like four people for a year. Yeah. Now, I would much rather, you know, a couple of uh, chest freezers full of, you know, nice tenderloin steaks or something like that. And that's a, I think that's probably a more suitable option if you have, you know, access to power generation and stuff like that. But the point just being that it's a relatively small investment. 
And if you don't need it, one, it's very possible that you can use it anyways, right? Yep. I mean, yep. I, I could eat through a few, I could spend a couple of years eating through a few chest freezers full of steaks. But more importantly, if you are to need it, nothing would be more valuable. And so if you can, if you can consider it a type of insurance just to allow you to preserve that peace of mind while you, while you actively work to foster a, a better system, one that you believe is more in line with your principles, then I think that's probably the best way to go. But, um, but it could, you know, it, it could be, um, it could be gnarly. And so I think all of that and but in particular, really connecting with people in your local community that are like minded and building those strong relationships of support is going to be a big aspect, even absent, you know, any sort of catastrophic circumstance. But in the future culture, I think we will we will see a lot more localism, a lot more strong, you know, uh, towns rather than, you know, big mega cities you know we'll probably have both but the the trend that i'm seeing amongst bitcoiners is you know wanting to live in less populated areas with with people with whom they have stronger relationships and you know that kind of stuff so i definitely not think, much of an answer but but i definitely think we're we're seeing more and more regular people that ordinarily have just walked through life with blinkers on asking questions you know what is this you know everything's going up it feels different this time so you know i i do think more and more people are asking questions but what do we say to those people that say what the hell are you two talking about? Are you lost your minds? Because most people, they, they, they feel like the government is going to take care of them. You know, they're, they're going to be OK. And I think, you know, I try to get a point over to people that will listen to me. And that is, we feel in the West that, you know, Venezuela and situations like that can't possibly come to our shores. Well, I think people have got short memories. You've only got to look at Cyprus. You've only got to look at Greece. I've only I was I was watching a Max Kaiser show recently that was saying he was saying that the the Bank of England is just right up Poop Street without a paddle. They are really in a bad situation. And the trouble is, I think the common man, you know, if they're expecting the politicians to go on telly and say, hey, guys, we're in a right mess here, so you need to get some extra food in. I mean, that's just not going to happen. What are the politicians? I'm sure it's the same in the, the US and Canada is here. The politicians are saying, everything's rosy. Don't worry. We've got your backs. And I think all I want to do is say to people, look what you've just said. Take a few precautions just in case. And I was taught it is better to by my lovely wife is in the chat. Actually, I was taught that it is better to be prepared for something and it not happen than for it to happen and not be prepared. And I think what you just said with the, the canned food, etc. You know, you can eat that over time. Does it hurt to have something? There is definitely something going on around the world right now where instead of, you know, a continent going through hardship, it is global, you know, and people don't even get it that, you know, by the time we get to next year's, you know, energy prices, everyone's energy bills are going to just go through the flipping roof once their particular company says it's our turn to put the energy prices up. And all of a sudden, people are going to come running saying, 
I can't afford to pay my bills. And all of a sudden, the middle class are going to become the poorer and people are not going to be able to feed their children and pay their bills and they're going to go out on the streets. And people think I'm mad when I say that. Yeah, I mean, I I know exactly the response that you get. And it's because people don't see the interconnectedness of all this stuff, I think. You know, they they don't see... The relationship between money, government, social issues, dis- misallocation of capital, inflation, like it, it, they're all just disparate concepts to them that they don't need to worry about because things have been relatively stable for a long time. Now, I, I say relatively stable because I think things are I, I think we'll look back on, on the period of the, the 20th century as a mostly a dark age. Yep. Now. It, it seems absurd, again, from our vantage point, but if we're looking from the vantage point of a, a future whereby the money system is so fundamentally different and preserves the rights of people and, and that the, the abundance and wealth and peace and prosperity that that creates, we'll look back on this period in, in shock and horror that anybody allowed it to, to pass for even a single day. Uh, but that's not the perspective of, of a lot of people right now, and, and they just think that it'll all be hunky-dory forever. And I hope they're right, but I don't think they are. And as much as you want to save everybody, obviously you can't. So the, the only people that I'm really adamant with, and it's still not that effective, is, is my nuclear family. You know, I, yep. I, I, I really try to push these things. But, you know, to, to borrow a, a, a metaphor from the Matrix, you know, not everybody's ready to be unplugged. And it's really difficult to pierce that or to shift the Overton window for them or to pierce that veil of of the establishment mainstream media narrative that they have used to construct their worldview and if they're locked into that worldview there's not much you can do to penetrate it so i've come to think that the best thing that we can do and this is probably this is like again uh this is probably always the best thing you can do is prove the validity of your worldview in how it animates your life and how it determines your behavior and the degree of success or failure that the, that you experience as a result. Because if people look at your life and say, boy, Brian is, is happy, he's invigorated, he's, he's intellectually stimulated, he's healthy, he's wealthy, you know, he's, he's got financial security, all these things. Well, people look at that and they can't help but notice. And then we're talking about the kind of the burning question of what is Bitcoin before. Well, another sort of burning question emerges and they go, I'm not feeling that way. Why is he feeling that way? And I'm not feeling that the way. The law of attraction. And, mm. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying this to try to make fe- people feel bad, but I just think like, what do we have within our control as individuals? Nothing but our own action and behavior. And so if we think we're right, if we think we've found a better way to inform ourselves and to save our time and to transact to live, then that should be on showcase in, in our actual lives. And, and, as with all things, our words are far less impactful and important than our than our actions. And so if we're right about this, it will be revealed in our actions and people will observe that and, and wake up at some point. But people's trans, you know, people's own shift in perception is not going to happen on the timeline we want. It's going to happen on the timeline they want. So, you know, pick a few people that are the closest to you if you really want to spend the time to grind, grind that axe. But otherwise, I think the most powerful thing we can do is become the people that we uh, use the tools available to us to become the highest for you know I know this is again cliche but the highest versions of ourselves as possible and that nothing will be more powerful than our own example
No, I couldn't agree with that more. And, and of course, the challenge with Bitcoin is, um, you know, people say to me, family around me, I'm, you know, I'm from a working class family. So family around me are saying, well, yeah, but it's all right you having your Bitcoin on paper, but you haven't bought anything. You haven't spent it on anything. And it's like, oh, you know, just... Just see what I mean? It's like that double-edged sword because you know you become you become the better you by you know not needing to let's say not needing to work anymore. You know, just take take that loosely. But you know they see your life changing. But of course, your life is not changing whilst you're cash poor and Bitcoin rich, as so many of us (laughs) as so many of us are. You know, because every spare dollar, dime, penny, whatever that I've got that's spare, you know, apart from my original accumulations that we got several years ago is just going into Bitcoin. So all people see from the outside is this nut has put in every single penny he's got. He's not doing anywhere. He's not changing his car anymore. What is going on? You know, and it's like, but I think we're visionaries, John. I believe that the people that see this innately have got something built in them where they've got a bit of vision. They can see how something may look down the road. And I think if there's one thing I've always had in my life where whatever I look at, it is vision. Even back to my trucking days, you know, when I first got my great big shiny truck, I remember it, you know, my vision was to get my boss to change his thinking and allow me and a group of us to take the truck to truck shows in the UK. So we show them, you win trophies. And he, I could see that by doing that, it would attract more people to his company and maybe he would get more business. He was entrenched in this ain't happening. And I remember helping him make the change. And he thanked me afterwards and said, you brought so much business in by pushing me in a direction I didn't want to go. So I've always had that sort of vision of how something can look. But, you know, people want it tomorrow. We live in a world where if they want it, it's got to happen tomorrow. If you're doing something and it's going to change your life, well, you've been doing it four and a half years. Why hasn't it changed your life yet? And they just don't get it. And it's like, I guess it's the frustration that us Bitcoiners have got to accept when we're trying to talk to people about um, what we're doing. Um, But you're right. You know, I feel for me personally, it's, I always get this the wrong way around, but I feel it's added another 10 years to my life because I'm energized. I can't stop watching, listening, reading, learning. If a podcast comes up that I normally jump on live in the chat and I miss it, I get a bit frustrated and I have to do it on catch up. And I'm just so excited to learn. I just want to keep learning. And and I sort of want to grab hold of people and shake them, those that don't want to learn. Do you know what I mean? Oh, of course, I know what you mean. And I, you know, I share those sentiments and I, I agree entirely. And I just think like, I, I, I'm not that frustrated about people that don't get it or the people that might look at my life and, and not give me the kudos that would make my ego feel good because I, I'm extremely confident that it will be revealed in the end, right? The truth, the truth will emerge in the end. And so I, I don't care, one, how I'm perceived right now, uh, nor if people don't get it. You know, like as you were saying, one of the things about Bitcoin in, in, in how it not only just, you know, so the fact that Bitcoin represents such a tragedy cost right now is part of the reason why, you know, I don't, I don't want to buy the extra winter jacket. I'll use my jacket from four years ago and I'm going to put the money in the sats instead, right? So there's a, <laughs> yep. it confronts every purchase with a, with a very intense opportunity cost. And usually, and this is one of the interesting phenomenons, 
you have Bitcoin as an opportunity cost. Everything gets compared to it. Okay, new jackets, new socks, ties, shorts, whatever. That No way. No chance that that's getting my sats. So what remains up at the top of your value hierarchy when something like that kind of a judge enters it? Well, I think it only the, th the things that remain are the things of transcendent value. Love, beauty, relationships, family, health. Those are the things that you cannot really put a price on. Yep. And so when it comes like, well, do I want to buy more sats with this? Or do I want to you know, do something lovely with my loved one? Or do I want to you know, pay for something important for the health of a family member? Well, then, then it's those things can stand up to the opportunity cost of Bitcoin. And the, the result of that is having a value hierarchy and a system of valuation and meaning that's most oriented towards things of transcendent value. Mm. And what do we call that? Is that a type of enlightenment? Is that a type of Zen? I mean, I think it kind of is. And so if, if people look at your life and say like, well, who is this? Some kind of ascetic? Like, I don't want to live that kind of life. Show me the Porsche and the Lambo and the, the nice apartment or a nice house or something. Fair enough. But I think they over the course of time, they'll come to see the truth in the happiness and joy that you're being able to derive out of this thing. And they'll see the value in it. And I think, again, over time, little by little, people will get wise to what's happening here. And they'll want a piece of that because we all know that as as cool as it is to ride down, you know, your hometown street in a Lambo once or twice, that ain't happiness. That mm. ain't joy. That ain't peace. Mm. It, it, those things are to be fair. And the real, you know, strange phenomenon here is here we have a, you know, a, a digital protocol on the Internet that's helping us reveal, find and engage the things of the utmost value in our lives. How weird is that? Well, ultimately, you know, when you look back on your deathbed, you don't look back and say, I wish I'd have drove a Lambo more. You look back and I wish I'd have spent more time with my family, you know. And for me, you know, family is everything. I've got grandkids already, you know, and I just want them to have a good life. Um, so I will just keep doing what I need to do to educate them when they're ready. And somebody said it. I mean, it's, it's a meme going around, isn't it? That everyone gets Bitcoin when they're ready to get. I think it's something like that. Everyone gets. Price Bitcoin, they deserve. Price, <laughs> but the price they deserve. And, and it's, then they come out with, oh, oh, you're so lucky. You bought it at $2,000 a coin. You know, is that luck or was I open to the idea and didn't dismiss it out of hand, but did some investigation first. And anyone can do that, but most people are entrenched in, this is the way it is, and that can't be real. So I'm keeping that over there. And I completely totally. get that. I completely get it. Yeah. Um, listen, we're coming up to the hour, Mark. I, I, John, I could chat for hours with you. It's, it's been an absolute <laughs> blast. I, I, I'm really trying to take my shows down a route that, is not focused on how much is Bitcoin going to be next year? How much is Bitcoin going to be next month? Because I'm starting to realize there is so much that is way, way deeper than Bitcoin. But I'm going to say this, Bitcoin fixes it. Bitcoin has got the ability. You fix the money and you can fix everything that's wrong with the world. So I just absolutely love having these conversations. I did say we'd run an hour. I'm very, very um, appreciative of your time. So I'm going to sort of pull it together there, John, and say thank you. Is there anything you want to share with my I mean, I would like you to give my audience some kind of tip, anything that springs to mind from your philosophies. Well, first of all, man, I, I really enjoy these conversations, too. And I appreciate you, you having me on for a chat. 
Um, you know, th this is going to sound super cliche, but it's just when I was cooking dinner last night, it, it came to my mind and it was just that um, seek the truth and do your best to live in accord with what you have. And I know that's like, you know, I'm no I'm no sage or, or philosopher or anything like that, but I, I, I'm beginning to appreciate more and more the truth of that approach in my own life. And so if it's of any value to anybody out there, then then great. And I will tell you something from somebody that's, uh, you know, in his golden years or moving into his golden years. As you move through life, truth, honesty, trust, integrity, you it's don't everything. want to, you know, it can take a lifetime to build trust. You can lose it in a heartbeat. You know, for mm. me, I'll always be honest with someone. I wear my heart on my sleeve a lot of the time, um, but absolutely i will i will endorse what you've just said you know be honest be true to yourself um i just believe as we close this out that bitcoin has re-educated me on savings my grand god rest her soul used to say you need to save for a rainy day and we lived in a world for for decades where it is spend 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 as fast as you get it it goes out out the door and i think bitcoin is re-educating us all society on saving for a better future john it's been an absolute blast would you just stick with me while i do my quote and then my outro and then we'll just say a quick yeah, goodbye no, before we go so john i'm going to put your links in the show notes they're ready to go uh, your twitter will be there i would suggest you follow john on twitter um i'll put the links to both your podcast and your youtube channel they'll be in it as well john um i'm just going to quickly nip over to my desktop everybody knows me i love quotes and i think sure. you know we've talked about quotes and talked about philosophies today and i love this one you know the best way to predict the future is to create it and we've got a real opportunity here to each one of us create, do our bit to create a better world for mankind. And, you know, I know this is a Bitcoin show and many people have bought it because they want number to go up. But Bitcoin for me is way, way bigger than number go up people. So I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please share it where you've watched it, share it where you've listened to it. It will go out on the uh, podcast a little bit later. It will go out on BitChute a bit later as well. So if you're watching it on BitChute, thanks for supporting me there on the podcast again thanks for supporting me there if you're watching on youtube of course at the end the squares will come up in 24 hours i'll i'll add the links to um, my shows so for now all it leaves me to do is to thank john for being in the house john thank you for giving up an hour of your time i really appreciate it uh, people please hit the like button share it out follow me on on twitter uk bitcoin master i would also encourage you to share the link to my shows out to maybe five of your friends and say hey come and watch this crazy brit talk about bitcoin john it's been a blast i'm going to leave everyone with my social media links thank you again and i'll catch you Thanks, on Brian. the other side and i'll catch all of you guys on monday 6 p.m london with my regular show cheers everyone thanks john